Welcome to Documentary First, inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I am your host, Josh Lindsay, from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And with us, as always, is our first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hello, Josh. I'm super happy to be here. Great to see you. You sound happy. I am because I just took a little bit more pain medicine to make it through this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't going to bring that up, but you did, so it all yeah. makes sense now. Well, I'm still only two and a half weeks out of lumbar fusion in case, you know, you don't know. Okay. Um, and you're, you're talking to us, so that's a good sign on how it's going. So we're, we're progressing, it seems. Yes. Okay. And with us... As always, is our trusty, dusty research extraordinaire, button-pushing guy, couldn't do it without him, Jason Rugg. Hey there. Hey there. A man of few words, but oh, <laughs> so important. And another special guest uh, with us, we've seen in the past, business manager extraordinaire, soon career change uh, guy, which we'll hear about soon, uh, Hunter Taylor. Hey, guys. Uh, also, man, a few words. Okay, so um, Christian. Yeah. Update us. What is going on with the girl who wore freedom? What awards have you won? What distribution <laughs> deals have you signed? What money has rolled in? What's going on? Thank you so much for asking. I would love to tell you a whole bunch of wonderful things. Um, we have been struggling this week, uh, at, you know, in several different areas. It's a slowdown kind of time. Um, and really donations, like I said, a uh, hundred times since March, uh, have just barely been trickling in. And we've been in a hurting situation where we didn't have money to cover our overhead for December. And I want to give a big shout out, if I can do it without tears, to Nora Whalen and a few others who came in at the last minute. And we have enough money to cover our overhead for December. So, that's super exciting. Um, that still doesn't help us pay a lot of outstanding bills for creatives who are struggling for the month of December um, that we would love to, um, to, to pay at least something on their bills. Um, so if you are able to make a donation, find it in your heart. It is a, a tax deductible donation. You can do that at thegirlwhowarefreedom.com slash donate. And the other big information this week is that we had some life-changing news in our family, which is going to change a few things at The Girl Who Wore Freedom, but hopefully not for a while. You're having a baby. <laughs> That's not possible for me, oh, fortunately, okay. or fortunately. Uh, however, my baby, who now happens to be 30, has some news to share. Uh, well, thank you, Mom. Uh, after... <laughs> After spending eight years in the Army and then after going to college at the University of Colorado Boulder, um, for the last year, I have had an application in with the Navy. Um, and it's been it's taken a very long time. And my top choice that I that I wanted to do for a career is I wanted to become a naval aviator for anybody who's seen Top Gun. Um, and I just found out yesterday that I have officially been selected uh, to have the opportunity to earn the title of naval aviator. All right. That's awesome. So just to put a little bit of perspective, um, the selection rate, you know, is not, it's under 50%, more around 40%. It's super challenging. Um, and, you know, Hunter is not 22. So it was a challenge sort of up here battle for him. And we're just so incredibly proud of that. I do want to share one incredible foreshadowing story. And that is, I know you're going to kill me. Oh, Hunter, no. Don't I'm sorry, it. I can't help it. When he was little, Hunter gave himself a nickname, uh, F-14 Tomcat. And he kept oh. telling us all that his nickname was F-14 Tomcat. And we kept saying, you cannot pick your own nickname. That is not how it works. And he says, I don't care. I'm F-14 Tomcat. And so that's been a family joke ever since that that was, you know, his nickname. And now all we see is that it was probably just foreshadowing. Wow. <laughs> So congratulations to you, Hunter. Um, your OCS date, meaning you will leave us. Well, yeah. So, um, well, yeah, I'll keep that under wraps. That you know, we shouldn't be spreading information out like that. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> I'll check. 
Yes. Uh, anyway, so, uh, but what this does mean for the girl who wore freedom would be that since I will be leaving um, and I won't be as be, be able to be as involved in the business uh, as much as I currently am, that means we're going to have to find a replacement, somebody else to come on board uh, who's more business oriented that really wants to figure out how to drive the entrepreneurial ship um, forward so that we can continue creating content and then hopefully making money. Um, but we do have an announcement and we will be uh, updating that on our social media pages. You guys can can stay in touch and follow us there where we will be making the announcement of who will be taking the helm from me. Yeah. And we also are going to be continuing to learn more about how to look at the film business as a business and rethink the business model. In doing so, we have been gifted with some uh, uh, incredible uh, gifts in our own personal family besides Hunter. And Hunter, I'm going to let you take it over from here. Absolutely. Well, viewers, we have a great treat for you today. I mean, really, you're in for a huge treat with this, with this, uh, this video, this episode. Um, we have today with us a very, very successful founder and CEO. He's a serial entrepreneur, uh, and he started off at Waveset, um, and he was able to sell that to Sun Microsystems. Now, for people who don't know much about business, creating a company and then selling it, that is a huge major accomplishment. From there, he became the founder of SailPoint, uh, and he's currently the sitting CEO. He also took Wavepoint, or I'm sorry, SailPoint in its initial public offering in 2017, and that was a major success. This CEO has consistently uh, achieved high employee satisfaction ratings from his employees, and that CEO is now also a first-time author for Joy and Success at Work, Building Organizations That Don't Suck the Life Out of People. Welcome, <laughs> Mark McLean. Thank you, Hunter. Thank you, uh, Team Taylor here with Christian, Josh, and uh, Jason. It's a real pleasure to join you guys. And Christian, should we admit there is a family connection we haven't yet made clear? That is very true. Uh, there is a family connection, and it's quite interesting. Uh, but Mark's wife happens to be my husband's first cousin. There so, so now we've completed the incestuous relationship divulging and we can just have a conversation about film now, but yes. uh, perfect. Yes. Well, well, we're so excited. We're so excited to have you here. Um, and from our understanding, it sounds like you watched our film. I have indeed watched your film. I well, thoroughly enjoyed your film. Um, I have to tell you, uh, I was a little, uh, misunderstanding where, where the film was going to go. I thought it was going to focus primarily on the girl slash woman story and that was kind of the backdrop, but it was really the relationship between the people of Normandy and, and particularly the Americans, I guess, all those that, that were there, you know, kind of liberators. And man, you guys did a really nice job telling that story, the emotion of it, um, the way it's carried through multiple generations. It was it was quite moving. I really I really thought you guys did a great job with it. So well done. Really. Thank well. You. That means a, a ton to me. Uh, I thought it was going to start off the same way you did. You know, we started with the girl who wore freedom and as with most documentaries as Josh or anybody else will tell you, the story just takes you in different places. And we were so happy that her thread sort of wove through and yes, God was gracious to us and helped us uh, try to figure out how to tell that story. And so I'm glad you watched it and you enjoyed it. I'm, I'm hoping now. It to some friends. We're, I'm going to recommend it to some friends. I thought it was really well done. So awesome. Well done. Now. Well so we hope you will uh, give us a little bit more advice and how, as we go forward, how to build a business that doesn't suck the life out of people for our next project. Yeah, and so and so that's the question too. Is that you? You know, it sounds like you really love this film. It sounds like you're saying it has value. Right. And so the question would be, you know, as a first-time filmmaker, how do we turn something of value, a film, into something profitable, something that we can continue to do? Well, it's interesting, you know, I, I'm obviously coming from a pretty different perspective. You know, the companies I've been involved with have been software slash now SaaS, if you know that term, software as a service companies. And our customers have been large enterprises, you know, businesses, as opposed to something that consumers buy. But at the end of the day, right, anybody who makes a product or service and expects to get paid for it has a similar challenge, right? At some level, you're having to create something that is of value, for which people will exchange value to participate or partake, right? So 
filmmakers make films that people think they would like to spend money to see. And if it's a if it's a documentary, that might have a different kind of an outlet maybe than other kinds of film. But in this world of, you know, video on demand everywhere and I don't know when we get to go back to the movies, among other things. So I think at some level we're just dealing with how do you get a great film of any type out in front of people who will spend some money or at least indirectly through advertisers spend money for you to fund that film, right? Um, you know, and I think at the end of the day, I have a strong view that comes out some of what I wrote in the book, uh, just that that listening to the market you want to serve is the best way to ensure that you deliver something that the market wants, right? Quite, quite often, people go off in a back corner and dream something up that they think people want. And again, this is more true in my world of products. And then when they come out with it, people are like, that's not really what I wanted. <laughs> you should right. ask me what I wanted. I think in this realm, you guys, for what you've done, it's a, it's a much trickier question in some ways, because you can't say, would you like a film about this? <laughs> um, but you, I think what you can learn is what kind of films have succeeded over time. Mm. And what is it about those films that tends to make them so popular, so well-loved, so appreciated, right? Some of it certainly quality, right? Nobody really likes a film that has crappy acting and really bad directing and lousy Terrible sport. sound. Ter right. Yeah, it's a terrible sound. Uh, that's, that certainly can be part of the problem. Um, but I think it, it, at the end of the day, right, I've told people um, in the regular film world, like I've yet to see a Pixar or a DreamWorks film that I didn't enjoy. And that's not because I took my grandkids. I just think they make great stories and produce them incredibly high quality. So at the end of the day, people like to go read or see a great story and it's told well, and if it's independently acted or if it's not acted, it's a documentary, you have compelling people that are telling that story. It just, it hooks you and you want to learn more and you pay attention. I think. I think you guys did that pretty nicely here. Well, and, and Pixar is brilliant because, you know, they're making movies for kids, but they know that the buying power is the parents. So they have to make sure that the parents will enjoy it, too. Well, so. and look, with no disservice to Pixar, like Looney Tunes started that 60 years earlier. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, the classic cartoons worked because they were funny for a four year old who thought it was hilarious that the coyote got another anvil dropped on his head. But the dialogue in a lot of those things was pretty awesome, right? I mean, some of the dialogue in Bugs Bunny is wickedly clever, mm -hmm. right? Like they were working as so many great children's things do, they were working on two levels, right? That's kind of how do you appeal to the kids and how do you get the parents to buy it? And Disney picked that up, ran with it, obviously, right? Also, so, VeggieTales, we can't forget about that. Oh, how could we? And and I will, yes, throw out, you, you guys know Phil much better than I. I actually only know him from a distance and love what they did. I used to sit with my kids and watch VeggieTales as many times as they wanted to which was a lot because i thought it was freaking hilarious so i was all about watching veggie tales with well and there's kids. and there's extra value there too you know being able to spend time with your family so exactly. now i've i've read this book cover to cover and i have to say i absolutely love it so i i went to school for business for those viewers who may not know i went to school for business specifically focusing on entrepreneurship and reading this book i i would suggest that any student of business needs to pick this book up every professor needs to put this in their classrooms and so i was reading through this and there are some themes that kept coming up over and over and over again and i was like oh if it keeps coming up it's probably pretty important and one of those it sounds like is the concept of the entrepreneur, the founder, the creator, or the director, the owner of the company, and you talk about values. What what part does values play in a company? Oh, huge! And and you know, to the extent I understand film, and and we'll, Hunter will keep tying this back, right? Like a, a film is in fact an entrepreneurial project. <laughs> you know, you assemble a team with a mission to go execute that mission, right? But I do think that certainly in a long running company. And if you have like a production company that does multiple films, like a Pixar, there's gotta be a core set of values that keeps people aligned, right? I mean, we, there's been so much written about values, but at the end of the day, values are a tool for aligning people to the kind of the, what they're doing and why they're doing it, right? And, and in many ways, probably to be fair, values more answers the question, how, right? Like, you know, we can have a long talk about mission, vision, values. Lots has been written about that. First thing you always gotta do is get people to agree on what term they're using and what they mean by that term. But in general, the concept is, you know, mission, vision, you know, why do you exist? What is it you're going to do for the market and, and or your target customers or whatever? And then values is sort of the how are you going to do that, right? And to me, if you can't get alignment around how, then almost always the what gets screwed up, yeah. right? Like if you've seen all, when you see famous business flameouts, it's almost always 
because they couldn't agree on values. It didn't necessarily get characterized that way, but all of a sudden you got one group who thinks, you know, win at all costs, cut corners, cheat if necessary. You got another group maybe that's operating with high integrity, but it gets expensive sometimes to operate with high integrity. And if you got financial people demanding the bottom line is certain, I mean, these, these values, if they're not in alignment, you're just going to conflict all the time as you're making day-to-day business decisions, right? So I think if you're in the project where you're getting a group of people together to accomplish a vision, a mission, something, you've got to start by saying, hey, we, we have to agree on some of the core things we think are important here, right? Because if you don't, you're going to find yourself conflicting over what appears to be a difference in strategy or tactics, but often it's actually a difference in values. It's just showing up when you're trying to make a tactical or strategic decision. So to tie that back into the military, actually, that it kind of sounds like to me, what you're saying is, you know, a company needs to figure out what their map is, but the values are the true north. That's how you identify where you're at and where you're going to go. Well, and, and Hunter, yeah, we won't get too far fulfilling the military, but look, you know this better than a lot of us probably, right? The values of the military have shifted somewhat, not in terms of integrity and courage and things like that, but in terms of, it was kind of command and control and obey at all costs. When your boss says, take the hill, you take the hill. Now I think there's a lot more training in the military for, we're going to train you how to think and react because you're going to encounter all kinds of crazy crap that probably no one has ever seen before in some cases. So you're going to have to know how to think about that. We don't, mm. we don't have a plan for you to execute. We have to train you how to think. So you know how to think in the middle of a, of a new situation. I mean, and how much you guys make film, right? Like how often does think, do things go according to plan on a shoot? Never. Right. Never. So, and you brought up film and I want to give you a particular problem. Mm. So one of the things that I said when I started off with the girl who wore freedom was that I wanted to do production differently okay. because in the film industry, what I experienced as I've worked on people's projects is people that are volunteering, working for pay that really want to be in the industry. They really are expendable. And so we're going to pay them very little. We're going to make them work 18 to 20 hour days. We're going to demand and expect that they work at this high level. And, and, and then, and, and sadly, you know, unions came from that. And there are some protections if you're working under those contracts, but I'm in the indie world. And so I've been working in this indie world where anybody's willing to do anything. And so the quality of life, and it's true even on Hollywood industry films, goes out the window. And so the values there are, we have a product we have to produce under this timeline, you know, and if you can't put in 20 hours days, it doesn't matter if you have a family, it doesn't matter if you have a little kid, you can't make it in this industry, you're out. Yeah. And so when I started this, I knew that there were going to be times of intense focus that were going to cost us. And I read something about this in your book where you said you do have to have this like balance, balanced life. There are going to be these intense periods where, you know, you're going to have to sacrifice that balance, you know, to get a thing done. And that that's the balance I'm shooting for sort of like in this next phase I'm going into, whether it's company or film or whatever. And, I, and I'm curious, as I think about building this new company, how, what values should I be playing around with and thinking about if I want to create a company that is balanced, but that can work hard, turn out a great product, and in the end, make a profit? Yeah. Boy, lots to unpack there. Um, let's take let's take all of us to a completely different uh, industry for a moment just to make a point. So most of us are familiar with McDonald's and Chick-fil-A. Um, and yet we all experience very different um, environments, right, at those places. And, and yet what you're paying relatively young people relatively nothing to do pretty painfully monotonous repetitive work, <laughs> right? That's, that's the nature of the fast food industry, right? But when you go to McDonald's or Burger King or some of those places, you sort of get the sense like they don't want to be there much at all. And it's frustrating to them if they actually have to deal with you, a customer. Uh, you know, there's that just like, I'm sorry to interrupt, but could I get a hamburger? If you're actually still buying hamburgers at McDonald's, I get it. Sorry. But um, uh, there's that, right? And then you go to Chick-fil-A and these kids are like thrilled to see you. And what do they always say after you give your order? My Thanks. pleasure. My pleasure, right? You're like, 
I'm sorry, what? You know, now we're all used to it. But at first you're like, did that kid just say that? Like what? Um, and so what they've done is create a culture based on some values about how they treat people, even high school kids that they pay pretty much not much to, right? So your point, Christian, it's not just, you know, people always tend to think, you know, it's about how much you pay people or how much you work them. It's like, no, people will put up with relatively low pay and relatively hard work if they believe in the values of the thing or the mission that they're trying to accomplish, right? So that's kind of my, as, as a leader of a thing, you can set a tone. Now, again, you can abuse that. I'm going to pay people lousy stuff and pat them on the head so I don't have to pay them much. No, no. I mean, you, you got people fair wages and treat them well, but it has a lot to do with how you treat people, how they feel about those long hours and those tough conditions at time. And that's where we come back to the point you referenced in this book. Uh, I kind of worked on this with my pastor buddy. We actually gave a talk at church on this, which is like, there's this mythical thought of like this perfectly balanced life, right? Like I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to get it and I'm going to keep it there. It's like, who thinks that's real life, right? Like, no, you know, 17% on my spouse, 22% on my children, 14, 14.7% on work, 12% on fitness. I mean, you know, come on, you know, it's like this pie chart, mythical pie chart. So we we coined this terribly not marketing-y good words called temporary healthy imbalance, right? You're What you're constantly working through in life is a series of temporary, but still healthy imbalances, right? Mm. Because at any point in time, something's typically out of balance, right? And so like when you're in the middle of a production shoot, that's the equivalent of a software release in my world or in the military, it would be an exercise in the field or in, you know, in retail, it's Christmas season, (laughs) you know, whatever. There's spikes in every space, right? And when you're going through a spike, you're typically going to be out of balance toward work and, and, and your family, your health, a bunch of stuff will typically have to take kind of a hit to get through that. The trick is those other two words, temporary and still healthy imbalance, right? Like Marge, my wife, who Christian and Hunter both know, like early on in my career, I remember we'd have these conversations like, hey, I'm kind of going through a spike, but it's going to get better and then it'll settle down. And she, her view after a number of years of this was the spikes just keep going. So we're, now we're just, this is the new level of normal up here, right? There and, have been and like, a lot of that to me lately. Right, right. And again, that's part of your challenge is if you're an entrepreneur, which you are as a filmmaker, you have to make some hard choices of saying, I've done as much as I can do on this right now because I have to rebalance some of my life. Go ahead. ahead. And that, that reminds me of what you said in your book, where you were also talking about when you're in these shifting periods of temporary healthy imbalances. Yeah. Um, one of the ways you recommended to approach things would be the things that you have to do, yep. the things that you like to do, and the things that you can do. Okay, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, thanks for remembering that, Hunter. Um, yeah, I think one of the things you find as you get into leadership is that, A, you probably came from doing something that's now under your leadership domain, right? Like, if you're in, in, in business, you were once an accountant or a salesperson or an engineer, but over time you become a general manager and there are those kind of people that work for you. And I love this metaphor and I also reference this in the book, Hunter, as you know, the conductor of an orchestra at one time certainly played an instrument, probably incredibly well, but now all they have is a little stick that they wave around and yet music happens because their job is to organize the other musicians to play a piece of music on a tempo at a beat with certain volume. So that's actually a great metaphor for leadership, right? You should do the thing that you are now being tasked to do as a leader and make sure you don't get in the way of the other people whose job it is to now play the music. So back to your <laughs> to your have to do, want to do, right? One of the things that screws up people a lot when they get into various levels of leadership, and I, I can't imagine this wouldn't be true on a film set. I'll make it up, Christian. You know, if you're the director, or the producer, and you got a cameraman, and you're constantly elbowing the cameraman out of the way, go, get out of the way, let me tell you how, how to do this shot, pretty soon that cameraman doesn't want to work on your project, right? Sure. He's like, I'm tired of you telling me how to do my job, right? So so that idea that says, look, you have to lead and lead because you're the only leader, which means though you can do something or you like to do something, it's now someone else's role to do that. And your job is to get the best out of them. And I always tell people, if that doesn't motivate you, if like, 
getting the best out of others doesn't motivate you instead of just doing it yourself, you should not be in management or leadership. You should be an individual contributor to use the work term, right? You should be the guy who does the work. And, and what's kind of sad. I loved the example in your book. This goes to another principle, but you talked about one thing that you've done in your companies, which I've never heard people talk about before, but I'm told now, thanks to Hunter and Jeremy, that is the Peter principle, that there is a thing out there that if there is a guy in the automotive shop that is really good, he's the go-to guy, everybody wants his opinion about how to fix this thing, uh, and you promote him to management and he's not happy there, but you want to reward him financially in every other way, He's not going to be happy and it's not going to work well. So your so the, the idea would be reward him for the contribution that he gives at his level for what he brings to the company, even if you're and don't expect him to manage. Yeah. Let him be the senior technical leader, not the people manager. Quite often when people do well in any field, the thought is we should bump them up to the to the management level and let them supervise the work of others. Like, well, A, they may not be good at managing people and B, they they might have been the really the best person to keep doing that thing they were doing. Now again, in your world, it's such a specialized set of you know skills and film and acting and sound and you know I don't know. But eventually, some of those people decide to become the director, or filmmaker, producer, or whatever, right? But I think it's it's a similar idea of like getting the most out of the contributors, the people doing the actual work. If you're going to lead that team, you have to make sure you're you're thinking, what is it that motivates those people? How can I get the best work out of them and and not in a, in a in a manipulative negative way, get the best work out of them at their expense? Like how can I give them an environment where they want to give their best work is a better way to say that, right? And right. That's, that's what I think we have to do as leaders. Well, what well, I so, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. What I would say too is in my field, and for mm. fil filmmakers that are thinking about this, everybody in my film want, film world wants to level up. And oftentimes they think, I want to make more money. I want to get to the next place. And we're not thinking so much about what am I really good at? I discovered this in this project. I thought I could produce and I could let other people do stuff. In the course of the project, I found out I'm better at storytelling. I'm better at writing, mm. directing. I'm better at those things than producing. And so I think one thing I took away from what you're saying is, I think we need to ask each individual person, what are you really love doing? Yeah. What do you feel you're gifted at and you're love doing? And let's pay you what you need to be paid in order to do that the best you can so that this film can be the best piece of art it can be. Is that? Absolutely. And look, I, I, I borrowed in the book from another concept that you're on right now, Christian, um, there, there's Gallup and there's Strengths Finders. There's a couple of different brands on these things, but it's the, the term you hear the most is Strengths Finders, which is really hard to say. Strengths, plural finders. But it's the idea that a lot of our working lives, and maybe this is what you're talking about in the film world, certainly applies in, in academia and the military, a lot of places, is you, the, the idea of a performance review is often, hey, um, here's 10% of our time spent on telling you what you did well and 90%, here's all the things you're not so great at and here's what we need to do to fix those things, right? That's the way a lot of people have been trained to, to performance manage people. I'm gonna spend all my time helping you fix the stuff you're not good at. And I think the the better model is what you just said is strengths finders in that whole concept, right? They have they have tools you can take and figure out where what you're good at, what you like is to say, look, figure out what you're good at and what you like and go deep in that and then compliment yourself with people who are good at the things you're not and like to do the things you don't like to do. Uh, my silly, uh, I'm, I grew up on Microsoft more than Apple, so I still use their products to make this example. But like early on in life, I say, you like figure out if you're a PowerPoint person, an Excel person, or a Word person, right? Like not everybody is good at pictures, numbers, and words. You're probably good at one out of three. You might be competent in the other two, but really figure out if like, if you love spending time in the spreadsheets, you're probably not meant for marketing. And if you love spending time in Microsoft Word, you're probably not meant to be an accountant, right? Like, like kind of know, know what you're gifted at, get really good at that and, and realize I need people who are good at the other stuff to make a great team that delivers a great product. So like you said, if you, your self-awareness, by the way, we could spend a whole lot of time on the importance of self-awareness. Um, 
your self-awareness was, I think this is where I'm really good at storytelling and helping get the most out of the people on the screen and let somebody else figure out how to make sure the camera showed up on time and the food was there from the caterers or whatever else a producer does. I don't know your world as well as you guys, but you're on the, you're on the right track. <laughs> like if you're thinking, wait, is the caterer here when you should be thinking about how did I get the best line out of that last interaction? You know, that's just, those are two totally different things, right? True. True. So, so here's my next question then. So now that we've talked about, you know, the founder and the values and assembling a team and then motivating that team. Now that founder and that team, they need to make a product. They need to make something of value to bring to the market. So, so how does a team that has those values, has that team, have people put in place, they're motivated. How do you decide what to make, where to make it and who to make it for? Well, great question, uh, Hunter. And I'll say this is interesting because uh, this was kind of the, the, isn't your title of the podcast like a first time documentary? It's something about first time, right? It's documentary first, but I always say it should be how not to make a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> how I screwed it up and what I hope to do different next time. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think like part of where I was going there was I think anytime you're going to go do something new. So back to Hunter, let's start with Hunter's question. We'll kind of migrate again toward film, which I will try to make these things applicable, uh, even though I'm such a novice at film. But like in the in the world I come from, I always tell people, look, the mythology of the 22 year old founder who starts the next cool tech company is great, except it almost never happens in real life. There are a handful of them. I like to say, we know their first names, right? In my tech industry, there's Steve as in Jobs and Bill as in Gates and Michael as in Dell and now Elon as in Musk. I mean, we know those people because they're like, as I call them, freaks of nature, right? There's like one of them every five or 10 years, okay? <laughs> and you're probably not the next one, I like to tell people. So, um, so given that reality, right, if you're not that super genius uh, or by the way, sometimes it's luck as much as genius, but um, given that for a moment, like, okay, so how do you figure out what to do? My, my advice is go get smart at something for a while, work for five or 10 years, and this kills a 24 year old to hear me say this, but go work for someone for five or 10 years and learn an industry, um, a space, uh, a set of skills, then go start your thing. <laughs> because the likelihood you won't understand all the nuances of a, of a space or an industry or a market, if you jump into it, really young is quite high. So go associate and hang around with people for a bit, then go start your thing, right? So again, if you're going to be a first time filmmaker, I would advise going to work on some films for a while before you try to make your first film by yourself, right? Because what I did do. Right. Okay. But no, but you've been around the industry. You're being a little harsh on yourself. You've yeah, been around the years. industry. Right. I mean, like if I, unlike you, were to try to go make a film, that would be a horribly bad idea, right? <laughs> like I, I should, should never do that. But, uh, but yet I think people do that all the time. I love, again, it's the mythology. You know, here was Bob, the accountant sitting at his desk. And one day he dreamed up Tesla. I'm like, that doesn't happen in real life, right? Like you're, you're going to more likely extrapolate from some stuff, you know, to what you need. So back to Hunter's question, well, how do a group of people who share values and are, are like kind of they like being colleagues and want to work together on a project or a company? Well, they're likely to have their highest level of success if they go work on something that at least a few of them, if not all of them, know something about. Right. Just just saying it's kind of obvious. So I think at the end of the day when I see a group of people going, yeah, we've spent all our time uh, over here in accounting and we want to go start an ice cream shop. I'm like, Hmm, I don't know if that's a good idea. Right. Because it, you know, you may or may not know squat about ice cream or what it takes to build a successful retail operation. If you've been an accountant at, you know, KPMG for 10 years. Right. So I think there's a level of just kind of, you could take that kind of risk and we all love the success stories, <laughs> but those are the ones that, actually get out the door and make it where the 99 that didn't, you never get to read about. Right. So yeah, I guess well, long, long winded answer, go, go where you have some knowledge and then surround yourself with people who have different skills than you do. That's, that's. So let's you. say, let's say that they go, that they, they then go and get that experience that you're talking about. They go and learn about the industry. They get a feel for what it takes to work there. And then they get this idea for a film or a product or a service is how, how do the markets come into that dynamic? Mm. How does that work? Well, it's interesting, you know, I think the same thing has happened in film in one respect that's happened in tech. So it used to be to start a tech company. I know this is hard to believe now, but like you used to have to raise a lot of money because you had to go like buy 
servers and PCs and rent space. And there was no Amazon web services. There was no cloud. There was no, you know, super cheap way to get access to technology. So like to start a tech company took a lot of money. Right. And in the old days, in your world, I'm sure to like make a film to rent or buy equipment and people was like now a lot of filmmakers get started with relatively inexpensive equipment with relatively high quality output. Right. So the entry cost to getting into some of these things is way lower than it used to be. But so is the trial approach. Like I would say, well, if you think you have an idea, I mean, this is y'all's world, right? Go spend the time to shoot a relatively cool trailer that tells tells the story of what you'd like to build and start getting that out in front of people before you try to go get the funding to build a whole film, right? First, tell a short, that's what people do in product all the time now, right? Here's a demo, here's a pilot, here's a sample of what the kind of thing we could give you. Does this catch your attention? Does this meet your needs? Does this seem to intrigue you? Now I can I can use that to get the next step of funding or, or in investment or engagement from customers. We call so it that multiple. So it's that multiple iterative process. You know, you, you keep refining it. You keep going back to the markets, to your target customers. And you say, what do you think of this? Do you like our story? Do you like our, our camera work? So, okay, but what, here's a concept that I, I was, I'm wondering about that I read in your book and I, I, was, I loved. What, what does pain points and the customer's pain, what does that have to do with something? It's a good, well, in my world, I can explain it pretty easily. I'm trying to think of what it looks like in your world. Um, well, look, I know that a lot of the folks, maybe not everyone listens to your podcast, but at least some of the folks involved have been in, the, in somewhat related to the world of filmmaking that was at least having, quote, Christian values or Christian backdrop. And honestly, for those that's been around a little bit, unfortunately, Christian film equated to generally bad film, <laughs> right? There is like, if you heard it was a film that had a that kind of a value to it, you viewed it was going to be kind of schlocky kind of not well acted, probably not terribly well written, relatively low production quality. <laughs> like, okay, well, it's great that you want to tell a high value story, but you needed to also do it with quality and excellence, right? And so pain, I think a pain point, if I can call it that, is in the film world is we've all seen a lot of films that like, how did this get through the production smart people? <laughs> like that, it, it either wasn't compelling it had no tension if it was a comedy it just wasn't very funny and you're like you must have run this through test audience what did you how did you get there right so i don't i don't know how that happens in the world of film I, I, honestly like how did this film get out the door uh sometimes but i think the idea of customer pain is like what what is it your target market needs i, I always i like to differentiate we do this a couple places in the book i know you know hunter um between vitamins and aspirins a great way to think about <laughs> what solving problems i always tell people like if you stop and think about how we differentiate those two products right you know you should take your vitamins you kind of ought to you probably generally do but if you miss one yeah you know I'll, I'll try to get it tomorrow if you have a splitting headache i like to say you'll kind of knock over your grandmother on the way to get a tylenol right like there's there's a sense of i have to solve this pain now right so part of the trick in in products or or things that are super compelling is is you create that incredibly high demand or you recognize the high demand in the customer and you meet the need with the, the painkiller, quote unquote, right? I mean, if you think of the blockbuster films that you, we all know over history, right? A lot of them were, wow, that was a great story, incredibly interesting, compelling characters, great acting. I mean, Star Wars, you know, any of the major franchises, they just hit all those buttons, right? And, and you look at other films and like, how, how come they missed so many of those buttons? Like, you know, why didn't they understand that a movie maker would never want to sit through this or that thing? Um, so I, I guess, Hunter, in, in the realm of, of pain, in, in, the, in the building of a product or a service, it's generally a little easier for me to comprehend, again, in a market space that you've been able to identify, there's some well-defined set of frustrations that the people have with their current uh, available offerings. And if you can deliver a much better offering, they will take it if it's reasonably priced and available. And, and in the world of film, I think it's like, how do you, how do you deliver a, a compelling, interesting, you know, thought provoking and documentary, I guess it's a lot more about interesting and thought provoking, right? Like, wow, that made me think, or wow, it opened my eyes to a whole set of new issues I didn't understand. And then it's like, okay, you can do that either in a boring, crappy quality, 
you know, pedantic way, or you can do it in an interesting, compelling, emotionally charged way. I, I would choose the latter, you know, like, right. so this what I wanted to do. And I do think we did it well. One thing that I think is so interesting about what I think Hunter's getting at and what you're saying is Hunter led uh, my editor and, you know, partner Bill Evil in a workshop last Friday. Okay. This was the first time that I ever heard somebody say, okay, what are the pain points of your industry? What were the three P's, Hunter? You said the pain point, the... Well, we, we separated it between the pain points, which are the problems that, that customers have, and then the, the, need, you know, the desires or the needs that they have. And I really emphasize focusing on pain because if you could solve the pain, it's very much like what Mark was saying with the aspirin versus the vitamins. You know, um, people would like to, to be healthy and would like to take their, their vitamins, but they're not really thinking about that. But if they need something, if they have a pain, they'll, they'll knock you over to go get that aspirin. So we were talking about what are our our viewers want to see yeah. what are their pain. And so he was asking Bill Evil this question. He's been on the podcast before. He's my editor. He had some brilliant answers, which are so simple, which film people usually don't think about. Because usually a film person's like, oh, I have this idea for a story and I want to tell the story and this is the script or I want to investigate this. Or, And so when Hunter said, what are the pain points? The, the first thing I said was time. Every time I ask somebody to watch my film, the first question they ask me is, well, how long is it? You know, and, and that doesn't that matter. doesn't matter if it's a film festival or a buyer or a friend. How yeah. long is it? How much time is it going to take me to watch? Yeah. And we've watched a change in the industry where you have to make a pretty darn good film to have somebody sit for four hours and watch it, you know, and, and now most people's attention spans, you know, they want super small delivered content very quickly, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that was one pain point. Then Bill was like, you know, the other thing is choice. There's so many choices. We go and we sit down and like, where do we begin? Do we look at the choices on cable? Do we look at the choices on all the different apps on our television, you know, and, and then, you know, you have, well, what does my family want to watch? Who do I want to watch a film with? You know, is it with my children? Is it with my wife? And thinking about that product of what is the pain that an actual buyer who is an audience member is looking for was the first time I ever stopped to think, hmm, I never thought about a viewer having a pain problem about a film. So that's when I started thinking, you know, this whole business concept that Hunter's brought into our film world, where I started saying, you know what, I think filmmakers right away need to partner with business people who think like this. And then I saw your book. And the thing that was so key to me is that, I mean, I know you, I've, I've watched you over all these years. I know what kind of man you are. And you talked about in your book, this why principle, which came from Townsend, yep. which focuses on people, yep. which goes back to what you were saying earlier about how you want to create a life for them where they are fulfilled and happy in what they're doing. Yep. And I would say to sort of wrap this whole thing up, you know, yep. I really want us, I want to challenge young filmmakers and all filmmakers and myself to think a whole different way about production and making films. Because I do think if we are considering the people we are working with, mm. we are helping uh, making a product within the balance of our lives, knowing that there will be times of healthy imbalance. Mm -hmm. And if we are considering the pain points of our audience Somewhere in the middle, we'll begin making a product that hopefully we can sell and make money on. If only we could get that stupid distribution thing hammered out, which hopefully Hunter is going to help us with. I know, you know, funding is always the biggest problem with films. But I think if you think about making a company first with the foundations that you've built your company on, and I really would love to have you back to talk about that. Um I think there you are on to something. I mean, anybody that can be voted as one of the top CEOs of a company like you have, I would love to take those concepts and bring them into this film world because I don't think that's ever been done before. Yeah, I, I, that's a great point. 
yeah, because you guys work on a slightly, you know, it's it's kind of, we, we in our world, we have, you know, customers, we have partners, we have employees, we have contractors, you know, there's, there's some of those metaphors, but like the nature of a film, it's always like a project where a group of people come together and then they disperse again. It's not like an ongoing, I guess a production company, a very thin skeletal production company can exist, but they're always bringing in this massive amount of people that don't work for them full time typically, right? It's a very, very much you have to attract those people, right? And then, so you've got that group of people to think about, then you've got your buyers, you know, your, your, your consumers. Um, and then you've got your sponsors, which is another constituency you have to think about, right? It's, it's, yep. it's a complex world. I do, I do think what's fascinating, about, I was thinking about your documentary approach, like in some ways the challenge in the documentary is the same challenge that the filmmakers who did like Titanic or Apollo 13 has like, Hey, we already know how the story ends. How are you going to make this interesting? Right. And there's a little of that in a documentary, like, Hey, I know what happened in world in your case. I know what happened in World War II. <laughs> you know, I even maybe know a little bit of what happened at D-Day. How am I going to make that interesting? And I think that's what you guys accomplished, right? You said, look, there's an angle on this that you might not have heard about that that was the relationships that it went beyond the war between this group of people and those that came to liberate them. And I thought, okay, that's an interesting twist on the story that most people really don't know much about, right? Um as opposed to like whatever 1917 just a really super crazy compelling way to tell a war story but that the war thing was not new it's just the, the filmmaking was fascinating but but in th in this case it was like okay this is interesting because it's a part of the story i don't know i think if you're going to do any kind of fact-based documentary thing especially about a relatively familiar topic the trick is how do you how do you make it compelling and it has to be some angle on the story i don't think i already know or else i'm going to tune out quickly right right sure. so anyways, I think well, you guys did a good job of that thank you well we're running out of time but we just want to say one last time you really need to pick up this book again it's joy and success at work building organizations that don't suck the life out of people it's by mark it's by mark mclean mark thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really have learned so much for you. I think from you, I think that our viewers have learned a lot from you as well. Uh, we'd love to have you back whenever you have the time. I would, I would enjoy that. Let's figure out how to make that happen. And by then Hunter will be out flying over some <laughs> part of the world. But, oh, uh, one thing real quick, I would love to ask, you know, Josh is a businessman and he loves film. Jason is a young filmmaker. You guys have been listening to this. Oh, uh, has there anything that stuck with you uh, that you took away anything that's important uh what do you think are you just glad it's over and that we can get off the call <laughs> i think i need to buy the book well i i will say i appreciate the the part on values uh, uh so i have a team about you know 40 people and i was doing a zoom call last night and i was training on vision and mission uh and goal setting uh, the one thing I didn't talk about, I just didn't have time, was the values. And I, I literally have, we have family values, and they're posted in our kitchen. Uh, and uh, the, it's, it's important for a family, and it's just, just as important for a business. And so I, I appreciate that. I think a lot of times people go into something, whether it's a film or a product, without mm. uh, thinking about those things in advance. And, you know, I experienced that, you know, with, at VeggieTales. But I think that's common. And so I think if you can think of these things in advance, it'd be to your advantage for sure. Especially the how part, right? Like I say, it's the, the, the people get excited about the what, let's go make this film or let's go start this company. Right. Like, how are we going to go about that? Actually, especially by the way, I think it's even more true in these younger generations, millennial, Gen X, Gen, whatever letter we're on, you know, there's that whole sense of, you know, I care about who we are as a company and what values we support. And are we, you know, environmentally friendly and racially friendly and blah, you know, it's like, wow, we used to just like make ice cream or software, right? Like now people care a lot more about the how. And I think that's got to be true in your world of film as well today, I would assume. Well, I, I don't know that we spend a lot of time talking about values before we pull a team together and tell everybody how we're going to work. And I don't think we talk about, we do talk about values maybe when we think about the content. Yep. But I want us to think about the people because I look at the girl who wore freedom and I'm similar to you, Mark. You and I share a lot of personality traits that are the same. And the culture that I've created, we've had a lot of people on our team on this podcast. And we'll, they'll say, you know, well, I came to volunteer because this, you know, is a great story or whatever. I stayed because of the culture 
what mm-hmm. I'm learning and the environment that's been created. And so I would just challenge, you know, people in the filmmaking world to begin thinking about the people that you're working with, how you're treating them and the culture that you create. And that right starts with values. Right so, yeah, we're way over time. I'm so sorry, everybody. Edit, right? Isn't that what editing? Didn't, don't you guys do editing in your <laughs> we're business? Not, no, thing? no, no. No editing <laughs> here. Uh, Jason, do you have anything to say? Because I hate it when you say nothing. No, I want to hear what Jason, he's the young filmmaker. What are you going to take away from this, Jason? Yeah, so one thing I absolutely uh, took away from it was the Peter principle. Because I went from being the the guy who was like, I was here first sort of thing. I, I started a small animation team because it started out as just me. And then I was immediately put into, well, you're managing everyone we hire. Yep. And I had never done anything like that. And I was really not good at it. <laughs> Thankfully, <laughs> I had uh, another producer who could do a lot more of that role. But whenever stuff came to me, it was like, I, I'm not prepared for, I, I, I don't take joy in managing people. And so it's interesting to hear that there's another way to do it. Yep. And so I'm excited at, at moving forward to, to bring that with me, to, to know that it's okay not to have to do everything to be the person who's like, I can focus on what I'm good at and take joy in. And hopefully there will find other people to build that with. And so you, that's, you, that's you can cool. buy the book and read the whole book or save yourself the time and just get a uh, hundred to let you read the chapter called manager or not. That's, <laughs> <definitely>. <laughs> that's well, awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks Jason. All right, Josh, take us out. Christian. Quick reminder, where can we go to make end-of-the-year tax-deductible donations to the Girl of War Freedom? Yes, thegirlywarfreedom.com slash donate. We have partnered with Independent Film Alliance Chicago. They're our fiscal sponsor. You give through an organization called Give Butter, but it is all nonprofit. All but 5% of the money goes to us, uh, and it really will help us. Uh, It'll help us pay people that need money at the end of the year, pay our bills. And we still have six more months before our film releases. We have several film festivals, and it will help us make a great showing there and hopefully sell our film to distributors. So uh, thegirlywarfreedom.com slash donate. We really appreciate all of those who have already donated. It's really meant a lot, helped us get this far. So thank you for your support. And as a finance guy, I mean, this is the time to do it. The year's almost over, right? It's the tax with a bang. Yes, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, hey, Hunter, thank you uh, for reading the book and running the podcast today. Mark, thank you for writing the book and being on the podcast today. And thank you to all our listeners for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it. You sure can. Bye, everybody. Thanks, you guys. Fun. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you so much for listening, for donating, and for following along on our journey. If you are able to make a donation this week, we would really appreciate it. We are supported by donors who give us $100 or less, so anything helps. Also, if you're able to share the news about The Girl Who Wore Freedom with your friends and family, please do that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or email. And sign up for our newsletter at thegirlwhowarefreedom.com. Please go to thegirlwhowarefreedom.com slash donate to make a donation today.